Attention please, attention please, dedicated educators of Two Dope Nation. As this school year gets underway, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year. So now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the school year gets completely out of hand. Am I right? So I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for our most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers in our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for us. Imagine heading into this upcoming school year and the years to come with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, spell out, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of the podcast for more information about Alex and Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start the school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRASIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. I just do these things all the time. My name is Gerardo Munoz. I am your uh, 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. But more than anything else, I'm just a little Chicanito from the East Side over here um, telling these stories. Um, if you're a first time listener to the Chicano Logs, welcome. Welcome, Raza and Raza allies. 
Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this podcast, and I always struggle a little bit to explain what it is about this podcast. It means so much to me. Um, but really what it comes down to is I love my gente and I love my raza, this uh, this uh, raza that we have from Nuestra Majuscula America, right? Um, and I have just spent a lot of time exploring my positionality within it. I was born and raised here. I don't have certain things in common with my Latina families, <clears throat> but at the same time, there are certain things that kind of... Um, do bring us together. And so I started this uh, podcast as a way to just be my Chicano self having dialogues with people who are just doing amazing things in the comunidad. If you are interested in following more of our content, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you get podcasts. If you are on Apple or Audible or um, Amazon Music, uh, give us a rating, five-star rating and, uh, and a review. And uh, that helps more people kind of find this work. The Chicano Logs is a Two Dope production. So definitely make sure you're checking out the Two Dope Teachers and a Mike podcast. We have an episode dropping with Dr. Noreen Nassim Rodriguez uh, talking about her positionality as an Asian American uh, woman professor and teacher she's just an amazing person so you want to head over to the two dope teachers and a mic feed and check that out you can also follow us on all of our socials at two dope teachers on instagram twitter blue sky and facebook.com slash two dope teachers and a mic with all the hyphens in between um finally if you are interested in supporting people of color produce media and stories, these testimonials that we bring you um, a couple times a month, uh, head over to patreon.com slash two dope teachers, where for as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep the lights on. At a rate of $15 a month, you get a sticker version of this, your two dope nation sticker. You can put it on your water bottle, put it on your laptop, put it on your car. Uh, it's all up to you. It was done by our guy, Sham, who is a street artist here in the state of Colorado. Um, really, really beautiful stuff. Uh, hoping we'll get some swag out at some point with this design on it. All right. So really excited for this, um, for this guest that we have today, uh, welcoming my friend Cecilia Quintanilla, who's originally from Cochabamba, Bolivia. That's a long way away, and maybe one of the only places with a higher altitude than Denver. Um, Mexico City, too, 7,500 feet above sea level. Um, she's an accomplished educator and musician who relocated to the United States in 2017. She currently serves as an early childhood instructor in a Spanish immersion program at Brian Webster Dual Language School in Denver Public Schools. Um, so this is one of the first ways that we connected was actually through uh, the Latino education, the Latina education, um, oh my gosh, uh, advisory council. Wow, <laughs> it's been a long week um, for DPS, and uh, I've had a chance to to visit her classroom as well. Uh, Cecilia re received her formative education in music and arts from a prestigious institution in Bolivia, later honing her skills at the Plurinational Conservatory of Music in La Paz. She has had the honor of performing as a pianist with both the Bolivian National Symphony and Philharmonic Orchestras. A multi-instrumentalist, Cecilia is proficient in the clarinet, 
violin, harp, and has been a part of various choirs over the years. She currently holds a board position with the Denver Children's Choir. Uh, f f fun fact, uh, my first instrument was clarinet as well. Um, <laughs> in her present role, it's great, right? Uh, little wind instruments. In her present role, Cecilia finds enrichment in her leadership responsibilities and from her interaction with young students. She also volunteers her time in planning the and administration of after-school programs at Bryant-Webster. She serves as a founding board member of the forthcoming Be the Change Community School in Commerce City, Colorado, and is an author because there's still 14 seconds a day that she doesn't have completely full with amazing projects. Uh, Cecilia de de debuted her book, This Is Who I Am, Este Soy Yo, in May 2022, a bilingual narrative aimed at initiating conversations around talent and giftedness among young children. Cecilia is deeply committed to supporting neurodivergent students, particularly in Bolivia. To this end, she founded the nonprofit organization Yachay Bolivia for the Neurodivergent, providing essential resources and consultation services to students and families in various regions of Bolivia and other Spanish-speaking countries. A staunch advocate for the recognition and support of gifted but underrepresented students, Cecilia is affiliated with several organizations, including the Colorado Gifted and Talented Association, the Gifted Education State Advisory Committee, Gifted and Talented Leaders of Color and Allies, and the Latine Educational Advisory Committee. Her advocacy work is focused on the early identification of gifted children and on resource provision within the Latine community. And so we're, we're actually going to have her um, link tree and uh, links to everything that she's doing in this episode, including a link to purchase the book and where you can find it. Cecilia, welcome to the Chicano Logs. Thank you, Gerardo. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we were going to do it last week and then you got sick. Ah, what a drag. I'm I noticing know. people like around the office saying, I'm feeling a little, and it's like, oh man, y'all just <laughs> mask, go home, something. Cause I can't be getting sick right now. I got finals. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think um, from the first conversation we had, I was really just taken with your passion for neurodivergence and for exceptionality among mm -hmm. uh, children of color, because as we know, this is this is an area that's still a big gap in support um, where kids from our communities don't have this. Um, but before we get into discussing the um, the work that you do, uh, share a little bit more about yourself, like just like tell us about you. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for that long introduction. I, I feel it was a lot, but yes, oh, I'm very, <laughs> like you said, I'm very involved outside of school with everything that's um, neurodivergence because I'm a neurodivergent. My kids are neurodivergent. So it's, you know, part of my daily life. But um, I moved here six years ago, exactly today, um, November today, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Wow, this is fortuitous. That's I know, awesome. I know. It's really awesome because um, you know, it's been it's been a very uh, long journey but with a lot of things in between, but it's nice to look back and you know, see I came here because I wanted to grow, I wanted to learn more. So it's like looking back, I definitely learned so, so much. 
Yeah, um, probably not all the not probably some things that you didn't expect that you would learn. <laughs> yes, outside of my teaching career, right? Um, those yeah. were probably the toughest. But yeah, so I moved here um, with my daughter. When I moved here, I was married. Um, yeah. so I moved with my ex-husband too. And um, three years ago, my nephew moved from Bolivia to come here. He's also neurodivergent. Um, so this is just like a better place for him. So he's been living with me for the past three years. So I have two kids. Um, my yep. daughter is 16 and my son is 18. So yeah. That's amazing. Uh -huh. um, so the, the, the personal investment in this issue of neurodivergence is something that really jumps out at me. Um, in in the conversations that we have in your presence, both on social media and, and the and the work that you do, for the people who may be listening to this show and don't necessarily understand this term neurodivergence, can you define that for folks who um, may not be familiar with that with that term? Sure. And just like a very simple definition, a neurodivergent is someone whose brain functions in a different way, right? So there are things inside your brain, there are differences that make your brain act in a different way as well, right? And this can include giftedness, autism, ADHD, and other neurodivergences as well. Yeah. And um, even some, even mental health can be yes. um, sort of yes. a part of one's um, anxiety, like acquired um, neurodivergences too. Yes. Yeah. It, you so you said acquired neurodivergences. Can you unpack that term for me? This, this um, is great. Like, so I love doing this podcast because I get to learn stuff like every <laughs> time I talk to someone. <laughs> well, like anxiety or um, you know, people that have um. Uh, multiple sclerosis and things like that yeah. right yeah so things that we would have in the past referred to as disorders we it's more appropriate to refer to those things as neurodivergencies yes I love it it's very cool <laughs> um very interesting stuff so I had a this amazing opportunity um to connect with uh, my friend Frankie who does work with stages learning and like you has a passion for um, neurodivergence um, as she kind of describes it um, she she has a soft spot in her heart for the underdogs the ones who are kind of not given the same sort of resources and support and opportunities and um, so I've had a lot of opportunity to learn from her. So I'm super excited to kind of get into that. Let, let's um, let's kind of start with Bolivia, right? Um, so this is that's where you grew up. You've been in the United States for six years today. Um, also, six years ago today is when I ran the New York Marathon. Like it oh, came cool. up, <laughs> and I was like, wow. So it's so this this date, this uh, November, uh, this November fifth date is uh significant is it the fourth or the fifth i don't even know fifth. um fifth. it is the fifth okay good that's good to know. <laughs> um so how would you describe your experience both personally and culturally glowing uh glowing up growing up in, and maybe glowing up in bolivia um i have to say i was very fortunate because um when i was in fourth grade i was invited to attend this school that you started fourth grade that is for music and arts so I think indirect, you know, it was an indirect thing. It didn't happen on purpose, but I was in a school for neurodivergence and we were all neurodivergence in that school because oh, wow. you don't pay for it. It's like 
belongs to the state. It's like public, but it does their own thing. So it's like a mix of public, oh. private. Um, you don't pay for it, but everything is music and art. So all morning wow. you just do academics, and then from two on and Saturdays, it's all music and choir. So I was very, very lucky because since I was very little, my dad um aspired me to play the piano and all the instruments. So I was very happy. And in my family in general, um since, you know, my grandparents were always pushed to leave the country and experience other cultures and other things. So I feel I was lucky in that sense, too, because, you know, that's what always pushed me to leave my country and um, also give that experience to my daughter. So yeah. I love it. That's that's cool. It, it's kind of it's a counter narrative to some of what we hear about Latina families and neurodivergence, that there's a stigma. And we'll talk about that a, a little bit later. Um, so it, it sounds like your, your sort of exceptionalities were normalized and supported and encouraged in ways that maybe others didn't get to experience. Yes, in a way, because we didn't know it was, you know, neurodivergence. And then it was so common also that it also created other types of trauma and other types of needs that were not addressed, right? Because we were all kind of in the same pool as well. So it yeah. took me to get out of that experience that I was in school to realize the good things and the bad things that I had and the things that I needed. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, so was it in, did you start teaching in Bolivia? Is that where you started your teaching yes. career? What, what is it that made you want to be a teacher? I always wanted to be a teacher. Like I always knew. Okay. And since I was little, I always played that I was Mary Poppins and my dad like brought <laughs> oh, a big nice. umbrella and I would like run around with my babies and just teach them stuff around the house. <laughs> um, cool. I also had like a little suitcase and you, it was so cool. Like you would open it and it had a whiteboard and on the other side it had a calendar and stamps. So I was always teaching my little brother and my mom during vacation, she made a schedule. Like she made sure we were doing something. That's why I like play everything. <laughs> nice. Cause she was like, yep. from this time to this time. Yeah, the agenda, the agenda was posted, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, you know, she was attending to my neurodivergent needs of me needing to do something all the time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. she she didn't know what she was doing, but she did exactly what we needed and it was like keeping us busy. So one of the things she always had was like teach your brother English every day during vacation. <laughs> and I loved it because she she bought us like videos and books so I could teach him like the song. So yeah, I've always wanted to be a teacher and an early childhood teacher. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, your kids are your your students are super lucky to have you in. <laughs> um and it, and it's funny because the folks that I've uh, come into contact with who who know you are are like oh my gosh she's amazing like and I oh. and I think that you you've got this really amazing reputation as a teacher so it doesn't surprise me that this is something you always want to do I didn't always want to be a teacher I think um, teaching was a job and I needed a job really badly um, and then I came to love the work and I came to love the communities that I was learning with and serving so that that's really powerful so uh -huh. so. Big sort of, um, you know, and it's so funny because when, when I talk to you, you're kind of like, hey, yeah, no big deal. Left the country that I was born and raised in and 
relocated here to become a teacher. And that, that seems hard. (laughs) So, but you're one of um, many uh, international teachers that we have in our district. Um, And you're here on a, on a visa. What was it that motivated you to leave Bolivia? Like, cause I want people to not assume that every migrant story is the same that oh life was so hard had to get out of there finding a better way but it sounds like you had a a really you use the word privilege like you had a really you know kind of blessed upbringing and and a lot of wonderful opportunities so what is it that motivated you to leave the country you were raised in and come to the U.S. of all places Um... (laughs) I think that as a neurodivergent, and now I've learned that, I never felt I could fit in. So Bolivia is a beautiful country, and I love the culture. I love my people. I love my family. But everything is also very slow. And there's like pros and cons, right? I miss, you know, having lunch with all my family every Sunday and being very chill. But it was also uh, asphyxiating for me. And also a lot of the culture um, and the expectations as a woman, um, there were a lot. And I've always felt different. I'm very different from everybody in my family. Like my whole family in Bolivia, they're known because they're tall and they play volleyball. So it's like the last name for volleyball people. And I'm (laughs) short, like I'm super short compared to them. And I've never. I was going to say you're, you're, I wouldn't call you short, but maybe compared to the rest of the people in your family. And I've never played sports because I play the piano since I'm three. So my dad was like, don't even get near a ball because your fingers and you're going to play the piano forever. So um, it was hard. It was hard to grow up, like um, being very different from my family and just in general right um society has an expectation as a woman and I've never followed those um lines uh I've always been told I'm too much um so I needed a place (laughs) where I could be too much right Um, Uh, that's amazing and then when I was a senior I was an exchange student with the Rotary Club so I came to Insular Indiana um that's where I learned English so, you know, I had this thing for the States um, and um, I was married, like I told you. So my ex-husband's yeah. mother, she, um, they lived here. She had um, a scholarship in CU Boulder. So he oh, was okay. raised here and 2015, uh, he came to visit family and they were like, you know, the Republic schools has this program where they hire teachers. Um, so why don't your wife apply? And I did because I applied to other schools like in London and, you know, Saudi Arabia. I was like, I want to go wherever, but I want to leave. Yeah. 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 Um, And it took me two years to be finally like in DPS pool and everything. And yeah. That's um, wow. What a ride. Um, It's it's so interesting because. I think that it it points to a lot of systems that we reproduce in our, in our community, right? Even even the most progressive family, which it sounds like you had a really progressive family that was looking to give you opportunities and let you be yourself, has to exist within a society, right? 
and there eventually you leave the nest and eventually you have to kind of contend with society's expectations um when whenever when you said the phrase um i was too much it made me think of something a friend said to me once where they were like yo if i'm too much go find less it's all good <laughs> right and i think that um i think that it is one of those things where you you have to embrace being Maybe I'm too much for some folks, but I'm just the right amount for myself. Um, and so the so how was the so it sounds like you had some good sort of connections and avenues in the United States. What was the transition like culturally uh, coming to the like for me? I feel like and I, and the only the only thing I can compare this to. My mother taught in Spain for a year towards the end of her career. She got a Fulbright exchange and she taught there and uh, she's very experienced, very knowledgeable and just a really accomplished teacher. She said, I went to Spain and I felt like I was a first year teacher again, you know, because it's just not even the language because she's a fluent Spanish speaker. It, it was just the change. Did you experience that kind of shock uh, cultural that I keep hearing about uh, when you when you came here to teach? Yes. And oh, wow, it was big. And that's something like I look back on, right? Because like you said, I wanted that change. Like I chose to come. I had a job. I was teaching English. I was coming to do my job. So I feel, you know, fortunate in that way, but it was still so hard. It was so hard. And okay. we were lucky because we came to my ex-husband's like uncle's house for the first couple of months. But even like that, you know, money in Bolivia versus here. So we brought everything we could and it was nothing. We ran out of it like after a month. Um, yeah. Even though we had them, we were alone. We didn't know where to rent. We didn't have money without credit history, without renter's history. Then yeah. my visa was for less than a year because that's how they give you your first work visa because you have to be able right. to be here and take all the praxis ever and prove that you can be a teacher and everything. <laughs> I know yeah. praxis is like my nightmare. Uh, <laughs> But they give you like less than a year. So when you go rent, they're like, oh, you have to pay all this extra fee because you're not even doing oh, like right. a contract. First and last month. And yep, it's all yeah. this money. Yep. Yeah. So it's all this money that you don't have. It's It was November. So it was like getting dark at 4 p.m. Like, <laughs> you know what's going on. You're like, this is so depressing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so dark cool. and I'm broke and everything is hard. <laughs> I always say, like, I think the first year my daughter and I just cried. And it was like, I miss my mom, I miss my dad, because I was always, you know, with my mom and dad every weekend again, right? Yeah. Very family oriented, everything very slow and yeah. chill. Um, and even though we had a job coming with a visa, my husband and my daughter only have like a dependent visa. So he okay. could not work. Um, and Trump was just elected. So that added a bunch of stuff, right? And yeah, things I, did not get easier under yeah. that president. Things did not yeah, get easier. No. And I like even now I can only work for DPS and that's it. So I can't do anything else outside. It's very limiting. So it's still very hard. Like my daughter is very frustrated. She's 16. She can't have her driver's license because she doesn't have a social. I can't claim her in taxes. I can't put her, you know, for my um, health insurance. 
She can't yeah. apply to colleges right now because she would have to apply as an international student. So, yeah, you know, wow. again, pros and cons. So it is always hard when you're not in your home country, right? When you, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always hard. Well, it, it would be interesting um, as we kind of, when we conclude the episode, just to know kind of what is, what's, what's the future that you envision um, as far as that goes like it's it's such a um it's an exciting time but it's also kind of a nervous time even in the most normal of circumstances with you know with a with a child that's working their way through high school listeners know that my my daughter's in her first year in college in um in the uh, in the windy city in chicago um and that's that's wild and just going from being a covid kid who was locked down for two and a half years um to a time zone away is is a trip but it would be really interesting to kind of, you know, hear, you know, what, what does the future kind of look like, but it's, it sounds so, so I'm, I'm detecting a little bit of a through line. Um, I'm detecting this kind of adventurousness, right. And this desire to have as many experiences as you can have both as a professional, but as a, as a person, do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's why I want to share that with my daughter too. Right. And, um, because yeah. she, and how she understands this also, because it wasn't easy for her either yeah. uh, to come here and just give up at the beginning. She didn't understand why we were giving up our family, our home, start yeah. from zero, have nothing, right? Because we started yeah. with a mattress for her because we wanted her to have a mattress and we struggled and, you know, it was very hard. Uh, but she yeah. understands now why and yeah. the, you know, just taking that risk and leaving your comfort zone and putting putting just uh, comparing, I tell her right uh, the opportunity she has here, even though we have all these other challenges. And just so you know, like DPS is gives you that opportunity. Like now, I'm starting my green card process, and then so on and on. If you have like a great performance, they will um, invite you to stay to stay with them, right? So. Awesome. Okay, well, let me know if I need to go. <laughs> if I need to go, if I need to go fight anybody, um, and, and <laughs> I will. get that, get that moving. Uh, no, I mean I, I work with um, a person who is, who's in, who's interim director around the visa process and international uh -huh. teachers, and so if you recommendations. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, when we get off this call, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break yeah. um, because I I want to talk really briefly about uh, my friends, Tori and Alex, who uh, run Satera Investors. Um, so Cecilia, would you say that planning for the future financially as a teacher is challenging? Yes. What, what, what makes it challenging? <laughs> what, what, makes it, what makes it hard? <laughs> In my case, is not really knowing where to start, uh, you know, or what to even look for. So yeah. Well, you are in luck if you wanted to do this. So Alex and Tori um, have this amazing business based out of California, where they are actually looking at how they can help educators, specifically educators. So like uh, Tori's mom is a teacher and uh, Tori supports, you might want to get in touch with Tori. She also does this side work of supporting female entrepreneurs of color. 
and nice. you know just doing that kind of work alex has done his homework like dude knows everything about every retirement system in something like 30 different states and one of the things that he, one of the things that he knows is that most people who can invest a whole lot of money start off with a whole lot of money, right? And it, it's hard to make money if you don't have money. And so they've got this subscription-based service that is super dope. And um, and they give a discount for people who put in too dope when they schedule a meeting. So folks, that, um, that link is in the show notes. Um, in the coming months, you're actually going to get to hear a little bit of Alex's story. Um, he was a person who didn't grow up with generational wealth, and so he, he dedicated his life to helping particularly families of color build generational wealth. Um, Tori is just dope, up and down, and uh, Satara Investors, they're very cool. So yeah, Cecilia, one place to start. Maybe you can schedule a meeting. Yes, for sure. <laughs> they're Wait. good folks. Um, coming back into this conversation, um, I really, I'm really excited to get into the work that you do and and the kind of expertise that you bring. So I think one of the things that um, so there's a lot of uh, people on social media who kind of put out like some of this this content that is around like neurodivergence or it's around special education and the, and there's times when you're kind of like. I don't know if you've done any of your research. Do you like know what you're doing? <laughs> like you're giving a lot of advice, but just having conversed with you, you've got an ability to connect with people, but you also have the expertise. And I feel like these folks who are, who you're working with um, are really fortunate to have someone who actually like knows this stuff from within the system, but can approach it from a really meaningful cultural lens. So um, you've, you've been doing this really important work for um, with and for neurodiver neurodivergent children and their families. What is it that really inspired you to say, all right, I want to, I want to go beyond like the walls of my classroom. And this actually is, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's your life's work now. It's not just the, the job that you get paid for um, and how you like, you know, save money in your pension, like all that kind of stuff. What was it that really got you saying, nah, I'm, I want to be about it and I want to be about it? Yes. So it started because when we moved again, right, everything was kind of hard. Um, and then I when I got here, my name was super long. I couldn't get my socials. So I couldn't start working right away. And so at school, um, they didn't know when I was going to start. So they hired like they kept hiring like a sub every day. So the kids had like a you know, no consistency. So when I started in the yeah. classroom, out of my 14 kids, I had like eight that had serious behavior problems. And yeah. they all had like IEPs. And I was like, this is crazy. Why are eight kids out of eight, you know, 14 with IEPs? So yeah. I started just like taking all the um, social, emotional, professional development I could take, right? Something new is that in Bolivia, they're are very limited or when I was there at least no professional development opportunities and here in DPS you can take whatever you want yeah so I started there and then while I was looking for that answer on how to like guide the kids my daughter got identified as highly gifted and talented and I was like all right you know she's like of course smart, right <laughs> gifted, but mm -hmm. like highly gifted and talented for me meant other things right for me it meant mm. 
a girl that always had like really good grades. And it's not that she didn't have good grades, but she had good grades. And when you ask his, her, her teachers, like, what can we do to make it better? They were like, mm-hmm, she talks too much. Like she's always distracted. So I don't know. Um, you know, but she, she's a good kid, but she just doesn't focus. Right. Yeah. But she's not <laughs> bad either. So right, she's right. there. Um, but just like as her mom, she was always a lot too, like emotionally and with all these things. Um, and for me, I always associated it, you know, I was a young mom, single mom. So I always thought it was like that lack of, you know, that she didn't have, or that she took that those things from me. And I was like, you can't be like your mom, right? You can't cry about everything. You can't be so this, you can't feel this. So you have to be better. So I've always like, I was always very tough with her. So when I got this highly gifted, I'm like, wow, this is like surprising. I want to know more. And that with my looking for all the the professional development I could find, somebody says, would you like to do gifted and talented? And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Like my daughter just got this letter. So sure. But I'm like early childhood and the gifted, um, person at my school then she's like don't worry I'll look into it and I'll ask if if this is something you know that will be worth for you because maybe they're too young um and then she comes back with a book and it was like early childhood and giftedness and it was perfect so I took the certification that DPS offers for free and then after two years a year and a half you get like certified and as I was learning everything everything started to connect right oh my god right that's my daughter that's me that's my brother this is my kid in school my other kid in school my other kid in school um so when I finished my professor who I call my madrina because she's thanks to her I've been able to do so many things outside uh, Vanessa Ewing, she asks and she's like, well, what do you want to do now with this? Right. You have like your exit PDU survey. And I was like, I need to change the world. Like I need to tell everybody <laughs> about this. Everybody needs yeah. to know. And everybody in early childhood, it was me and a colleague that now we work together, like giving conferences who also like speak Spanish. We were yeah. the only two um that we're taking the class for giftedness as early childhood educators because also stigma that giftedness can't be seen till you're like in third or fourth grade right okay um so breaking all of that and then Vanessa goes like yeah early childhood is also my passion and social emotional so yeah let's work together and she connected me with um, GTLCA, which is Gifted and Talented Leaders of Color and Allies, because she was like, I know all these wonderful um, leaders of color and you guys don't know each other and you should be working together. So she brought us together. And I just remember like the first meeting I was there, it was like during the pandemic. So it was like Zoom and they all started like introducing themselves and they're like, yeah, I have a nonprofit and I do this and that. And I have a nonprofit and I do that. And then I do this and that. And that it was like, oh my God, you know, I want to be like them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I tell them all like the time. Nonprofit, you say. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, I do this outside because my son, because this and that and that. And they all had all these projects, you know, and wonderful things they were doing. Yeah. So... Um, the first work that we did was connect with um, Rosa and Alessandra. Um, Rosa is from Peru, Alessandra is from Venezuela. So we started doing like conferences for parents in Spanish. 
And I mean, I've always been a performer, so I ended up loving it. So we started doing that. And then um, I was like, I'm doing all this here in Colorado. And I keep remembering my kids in the classroom. I was a teacher for seven years there before coming that yeah. need support. So on the summer of 2021, um, my dad passed away and I was very sad. Um, so I wasn't very, you know, in summer mood. Sure. Um, so I started working on this project uh, and I said, I'm going to give a conference for Bolivia. I'm going to invite my kids from my classroom in Bolivia. And because I think this is for them. So I invited them. I had around like 27 families and I talked to them about giftedness. And then at the end, they were like, wow, you've described my kid. Now, what are you going to do for us? Uh, and it's no. very hard for me to say no. So right yep. away, I was like, yep. we'll start meeting one on one and we'll work on it. Don't worry. Um, so that. we started oh, and then, so <laughs> then I was already on Facebook because I... I knew that I wanted to bring something back to my country. So like I purposefully started my Facebook teacher profile, you know, so I could have some presence too. My kids wouldn't forget yeah. me. So yeah. I had random people that came and they were like, oh my God, I've been looking for this forever. Like you're the answer. Yeah. My kid is going through this struggle. And then I learned that it was bigger than I thought, right? The need was yeah. much, much bigger um and and that's how how I started and now two years later I must have seen almost 80 something families um around Bolivia Spain Chile Peru um United States and yeah. Ecuador and a bunch of other places yeah you, you mentioned in a in another conversation we had about how you're sometimes like doing these zooms at all hours of the night <laughs> because you know the this is when some of the families particularly the ones overseas uh when they're available and so it, it's it's like you you teach all day which is takes a lot and then and then you come home and it's like okay now it's now it's the next piece that that does that um it's so interesting because i i have um i have both a professional and a personal kind of experience with with giftedness, um, my, um, so my daughter was tested a couple of different times, um, at a school she attended that was kind of, you know, um, upper middle class, a lot of, a lot of kind of the children of white professionals. And in that environment, um, she just wasn't seen. And it wasn't until she changed schools that, um, that she was assessed and they're like, no, actually, this is a highly gifted um, child. And, you know, she was in fifth grade by the time uh, she was identified. And it spoke a lot to me of, of how privilege influences who gets, who historically gets identified as gifted and who doesn't. Um, it tends to be teacher recommendation, which is full of biases. And, um, and so we miss a lot of kids. So I was really excited my last school before I left teaching um, when we had um, our, our gifted itinerant say, you know, what we're going to do is we're just going to test everybody like every new sixth grader and every new ninth grader that comes into the school, we're just going to test all of them. And our gifted numbers tripled that year 
Um, but to your point, these were also students who were twice exceptional, students who had um, IEPs, students who had other neurodivergencies that um, that made their situations really challenging. And um, and I was a kid who wasn't identified as, as having any kind of neurodivergency until I was a senior in high school. And that it, that created a trauma that it took me years to like kind of heal from because for so long, I just thought there was something wrong with me. Like something was just wrong with me. Um, but, you know, so when you talk about your daughter and the talkativeness, I mean, that's me. That's why I have two podcasts, <laughs> like, because I will talk and talk and talk. And, uh, you know, but but it's so interesting to see how these things have kind of changed. So just a kind of a personal connection to to this work that you're doing. And it's so important that, um, you know, that there is someone who both is professionally competent in in this area of education and also culturally competent and understanding that there are certain kids who don't get the supports that they usually get. So it's, I mean, it's amazing stuff that, that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it comes with color, right? A lot. And not only here, like even in Bolivia, there is a lot of colorism in my country yeah. and I think in our Hispanic yeah. cultures. So yeah, it also sure. comes with that. Um, and I want to say that maybe that's why also my daughter wasn't seen with her strengths in Bolivia and it was always like the bad things. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of, um, work that has to be done. And that's why I also, you know, said this has to go beyond the classroom walls because it's not only early identification, but it's also advocating, uh, for kids that show giftedness in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah, and if that means Cecilia doesn't sleep most of the time, then that's just what that's <laughs> going to be, right? Um, so one of the things that's really contentious in our community as Latina people is the is the, the kind of the stigma, right, that often exists within our communities around any form of neurodivergence, whether it's autism, whether it's ADHD, whether it's um, dyslexia or whether it's like depression and anxiety and, and those kinds of things. In your experience, what, see, because I don't know that it's just a problem with our communities. Like I think it, it's really easy for folks to say, well, if Hispanics would just stop stigmatizing their kids would get the support that they need. And I feel like we often, as a gente, we often feed that narrative um, because we, we emphasize the stigma so much. But, but I also think that access to the supports for our neurodivergent folks is not always there for Latina people. So in your experience, what is it that needs to be done to increase that access and increase that supports? How much of it is our own internalized stigma? Um, and how much of it is like, no, actually, there are barriers to getting the support that you need. I think it's both. I think there are barriers and also our own internalized stigma. Like I feel in our yeah. community here, um, Colorado, what I and in the United States in general, maybe. Um, it's just that we Hispanics don't want to be different, right? More than yeah, we already so are. True. So it's yeah, like so that stigma of I don't want to be different, I don't want to need other kinds of supports, I don't want to have one more thing that makes me different from the rest. But then also another thing that I feel that happens here and even in my own country in Bolivia, where we're all people of color, right? It should you it should not be this 
Uh, but as I was saying, there's still a lot of colorism anyway. Um, I feel that's a very big stigma of being gifted because we're still following that model of white giftedness, right? So because yes. we as oh people of color yes. don't fall don't fall in that, then we're not gifted because we don't look yeah. like that and we're a problem. So like what happens with my families in Bolivia is when you start telling them that their kids are gifted and talented and they say this to other people, then people tend to either criticize them more and school teachers are like, well, if he's so good, then why is he failing at this? And why can't yeah. he relate like that? And why is he crying? Or even- Why can't he sit still? And why doesn't he turn right. stuff in on time? Yeah. Or in society, right? Oh, if your kid is so smart, why is she crying every time, you know, you're singing happy birthday or things like that, that- have a lot of uh you know impact on your divergent kids or why are they talking so much why are they so defiant right kids of color are very defiant they want to know the why for every rule and at least in my house right in my hispanic family latina family um you can say why you have to say yes to everything they tell you, right? That's it. Yeah, right. That's why I yeah. always got in yeah. trouble with my mom because I was always yeah. asking why. And... <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> yes, I don't want to. If you tell me, I'm going to do the exact opposite. So um, it's hard. So I think what needs to be done, it's talking about it. I'm talking about it and making it accessible and just talking about what it is, what it's not, and how, um, you know, gifted kids, neurodivergent kids still have needs and need other yeah. types of um, support and other types of things. And it, that it's yeah. not it's not wrong if they're passionate about some things, if they have their boys, it's just, you know, helping them yeah. know how to um, speak that voice and when to. So yeah. it's just putting the information out there. It's like normalizing the conversation and and connecting people to conversation. So I've had, this has been, it's been such an amazing um, September, October, November in terms of the learning I have been able to do with you and with some of the other folks I know who are doing this work. Um, one of the things that came, so I did a, I did a presentation in San Antonio at the ALAS conference this year, um, again, with my friend Frankie. And one of the data points that we discovered is that something like 80% of it's a, it's a wildly high number, something like 80% of incarcerated men of color are, um, dyslexic. And so when we think about the consequences of not providing supports, not identifying neurodivergent folks early, it's a matter of life and death in some cases. Yes. And when you look at those numbers, it's and I'll and I'll find it. Um, the other thing you said that was like, uh, it was amazing. So I had this opportunity in a research class I took last year, read the article. Um, there were there's an article, and you may be familiar with this study among the Karasan Pueblo Indians and their in their sort of understanding of giftedness because they went into the researchers went into this study saying how do we better identify indigenous youth who are gifted and so they go in and they go in this community and they 
learn a little bit of my my cat wants to come in um <laughs> they learn a little bit uh, they want to learn a little bit of like okay so let's uh, let's find out who's identified as gifted and why they haven't been identified and you know the researcher thought this was going to be okay we're going to go in we're going to learn we're going to be out and it'll be good but what they realize exactly to your point that the measures of giftedness are colored with white supremacist assumptions and biases and so what what followed was this really deep and powerful study about because Carasan Pueblo people do believe in giftedness they believe it's in everyone and that everyone is gifted and that is what they look at culturally and what what emerged was this completely new um, way of the researchers to talk about giftedness, not just with indigenous communities and others. So, so when you said that, when you said that there's so much whiteness that that colors <laughs> um, the way we look at um, giftedness, like that's immediately where my brain went. So that's that's deep stuff, and it's hard yeah. to undo. And that's another thing that has to be done, right? Um, it's to talk about and make public all of our gifted and your divergent leaders that we have in our cultures and our subcultures, right? Also, that's another thing I'm trying, I wish to with the nonprofit, right? I, I love our Hispanic cultures and everything, but us Bolivians in South America are something way different too. So we should also have those um, models of giftedness and in our own specific culture with our own specific yeah. characteristics as you know, Latina individuals or yeah, all, all all of our yeah, all of our cultures are distinct and unique, and you know we we all, all encourage certain types of behaviors and certain types of beliefs, and and those all come through that that lens. So um, that's such a great point. It's like yes, we we can do this. There there's things we can do for all marginalized communities, but specifically how do we understand the needs of a specific community the way they view um exceptionalism and and um neurodivergency how how do they see it and then how do we how do we just amplify what they do um speaking of your nonprofit i think the first time we met you were still trying to kind of you were still figuring out how to get it launched and doing all this thing and then i was on your link on the, on your link tree and boom <laughs> Yachay Bolivia. Tell yes. us, talk about it. So it's so the, the organization is called Yachay Bolivia para el Neurodivergente, which I it sounds way better in Spanish. <laughs> um took me a little bit of practice, but um talk about Yachay Bolivia and and what it is that you hope to accomplish through um through this organization. Sure. So um when I had to give this first conference, I was telling you I needed a name. And uh, <laughs> you're like, hey, I have a name. <laughs> Besides talking about uh, neurodivergence and giftedness, right? I wanted to show my culture and specifically, you know, Bolivian, South American, Quechuan culture. Um, and my brother uh, is very passionate about our culture. So I immediately called him and I'm like, all right, let's look for, <laughs> for a cool name that's, a good word. that's meaningful. Yep. That's meaningful. And the first name was much harder. It was Yachainiyu. 
Uh, but Yachaniyuh. it was hard. So Yachaniyuh means um, it's an individual who possesses talents and knows how to use them, right? So I really mm. believe that. Yachaniyuh. And I was like, everybody in the nonprofit will be Yachaniyuh, will, will aspire to be Yachaniyuh. It doesn't matter who you are, right? If you're a student, yeah. if you're a mom, if you're whoever, you'll be Yachaniyuh. Um, so that's how we started. And then uh, everything started in Bolivia. But then here I have many other students that need that too. And then just, just giving all the conferences, we had a bunch of parents also that were like, all right, now we want more. What's going to happen? Because one big thing I do um, with YBN now um, is have discussion groups, right? So we meet with parents um, and I was doing this in, like individually, but now that we're so yeah. many, I ran out of time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we do the groups, but it's actually much better because parents are connecting, students are connecting and everything. Um, so I, I wanted to um, do that here also. And while I was doing that here and connecting my students, um, one other thing we also I also do for the kids is like finding mentors for them over here. Um, and one of my friends, um, he's a chemist and he was mentor for one of the kids and he's also neurodivergent. So when I told him about the nonprofit, he was like, oh, wow. Like, I wish my parents knew about this because I was always getting in trouble again. I was always a different one in the family. Like it's cost me so much in my life, in my relationships. So he really like clicked with that. Um, and he, um, and I, I could be wrong, but I think he, like one of his majors or his masters or something is a nonprofit and just talking about what I was doing. I was like, you know, I really can't do anything with my visa. It's very limiting. So I need somebody to, you know, believe in this and take on this project with me. And he was like, sure, let's do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I want to support this again. It really hits home um close to my heart so i want to do this and we are officially a nonprofit. so yeah i say it's my third baby because <laughs> that's right very hard two kids and now this one <laughs> yes. yeah and it needs a lot needs a lot of love needs a lot of support needs a lot of um yes. nurturing right <laughs> a lot of dedication is definitely my baby like outside of yeah. school, it's all i do and i do it very happy i we don't we don't charge a single dollar or a single boliviano um, to anybody that comes to the nonprofit. So yes, step now is try to fundraise, get some you know grants and donors over there. Uh, now that we have the five hundred one c three status, yeah. uh, so that's like the next thing. <laughs> that's just amazing. So I've got the Facebook page pulled up, and and you've been really busy. There's just been a lot of places where you've been showing up, and and um folks like check out this work because it's legit and um and and just kind of looking at how you've you've now brought this energy more publicly and I, and I think I mean some of this stuff goes away but goes back a couple of years so you've been doing this work um but now it's kind of the opportunity that awaits you um, with a 501c3 that's that's incredible um so it's, it's is it a lot of what you are already doing hosting the the dialogues and sharing resources what are some ways that you're hoping to expand um so this is the first year that I'm coaching teachers in Bolivia actually okay 
um because yeah. it was very hard i wanted to start with yeah. teachers and schools but there's never time for giftedness or neurodivergence this is usually like right. um, special education which is also neurodivergence but it's just on that yeah. side of the spectrum yeah so yeah. you yeah. know that could be another super long conversation so school said no um, but because we have so many parents that are advocating for their kids now, one of the biggest schools in Bolivia actually um, agreed for me to train their teachers and I'm working with them. So that's first thing. And I'm wishing to expand. I want to have I want to be able to pay another specialist. So, you know, parents are so patient with me because whenever they write me, I'm like, okay, we can have a meeting. But in a month and a half, I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> time yeah. change also like after school they meet with me at 9 p.m 10 p.m in Bolivia because here's like six but they're like wow. it's a place that you like we'll take it because um there's not really work being done for social emotional support and that's why I have yeah. people from like Spain and other places because yeah. I have psychologists that I've never met and people that give like talks and conferences about giftedness but nobody does the support after Right. And which is to talk about all this other like simple things. I meet with parents and we do supports for home and behavior yeah. and organizational yeah. stuff. And with the kids, we talk about feelings and perfectionism. And among themselves, they, you know, start finding things that are alike and nobody's doing that. So wow. I want to be able wow. to have somebody that can can do this because I could grow so much. I could have so many more people, but I just don't have the time. Uh, and yeah. I can't ask anybody I mean, else it, to do it for free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 eventually, like, I think this we're we're experiencing something <laughs> similar over here at Tudo Productions, where the requests that we're getting and the the things that people are reaching out to us about stories to be amplified starting to bump up against my job <laughs> <laughs> right and so but this is a good problem to have right yes that, that and and i think what what is obvious is that folks are not able to find what they need um whether it's professionals whether it's parents whether it's the people um who are in this demographic and and you're providing a need that is um that is really important and it's why you got people reaching out to you so that's amazing yeah. um yeah it is, it is kind inspiring of fast, huh? and encouraging to keep doing like um i want to say that with alessandra and my partner uh we were probably the first ones to bring like spanish-speaking sessions um yep. to all these gifted things and, you know, um, for early childhood, too, we were the first ones to bring giftedness. First one since I live here. Maybe there's been something before. I don't know. Um, as CACTI, I'm part of, like, the diverse populations um, co-chair. And we've been mm -hmm. trying to find somebody, you know, some Spanish-speaking person that has done a lot in giftedness. And it's just very hard to even think it's about. So hopefully with this also inspire other teachers of color mm -hmm. that want to, you know, work for this and advocate for that. Yeah. Yeah, folks, uh, if anybody out there is a person of color, a Spanish speaker, and has a particular passion for support supporting neurodivergent communities, hit up Ceci. <laughs> she's got she's got some work for you. Um, <laughs> all right. 
Well, this has been a, this has been such an amazing conversation. I like I just really have enjoyed our dialogue. Okay, it's time for uh for some fun. Um the I mean this whole conversation has been fun. So like <laughs> it's obviously like things get serious and heavy, but like it's been it, it's been um a fun and joyous conversation and one of the things that that I believe really strongly is that when there's injustice in the world the goal of that injustice is to steal our smiles and the fact that you are supporting you know children who just have historically had no support and who are struggling with this and you do this with joy um i think i think it's everything that um that the chicano logs like believes in uh so now we're going to take that fun to the next level so um i i let you know ahead of time so looking for a top five anything and so i'll give you kind of an example of of a top five so um so i'm gonna name my top five marathons that i've run right so number one and you know i won't explain it too much and people are going to come at me because they're not going to like my takes but uh number one new york city marathon the first full 26.2 mile marathon that i ever ran that was amazing numbers two, three, and four were 26.2 mile runs I did the summer of COVID. I'd signed up for three marathons that summer. And then of course, COVID and they were all canceled. And so my spouse mentioned to me, she's like, why don't you, why don't you fundraise around causes that, that matter to you? And so I established that the Facebook page is still there. I established head of those run for justice and did uh, three um, three 26.2 mile runs to benefit organizations. And then number five was uh, the Aspen Valley Marathon, which was 9,000 feet above sea level, um, but absolutely gorgeous and all downhill. So that was cool. That's an example. Um, a top five. Wow, okay, <laughs> so it's one of those things. I, I, I think I think I'm also ADD um, because I just have a lot of interests and like and when I find one, I just dive in and do that kind of thing. Um, hopefully, yeah, I can uh, right. <laughs> get back into that. So, um, so Cecilia Quintanilla of Yachay, Bolivia, what is your top five? Anything? Well, it was hard, and one, it's not fair because the example you sent me was much fun and not so impressive as your marathon. Oh, so, yeah, sorry, even I remote said those. to that. <laughs> the one I sent folks, Again, so the one I sent I was... folks is like it can be top five milkshakes. So for example, <laughs> sweet cow, good times, hot daddy, five guys, dairy queen. Um so yeah. So good my times mind instantly I and I also think I was hungry. So my mind instantly went to food. Plus I'm gonna tell <laughs> nice. you that like as an ADHD, I think it's just hard to think about a top five of something. Because yeah. one, <laughs> like it depends, right? It depends on yeah. which time I am because I might I hyper fixate for something and I love it and then I hate it yeah um, <laughs> so let me <laughs> let me tell you the rules um because I think you'll appreciate the rules that we have or the, so we have uh policies in two dope productions around top fives um okay. so your top five does not have to be hierarchical okay right? that's important it doesn't have to be ranked <laughs> because as you say like your opinion of things will change uh number two it doesn't even really have to be five so my friend eric hale had a top five rappers when he came on the show and 
he he was like, okay, so I have a three-way tie for number one. I have a five-way tie for number two. So he must have named 25 or 30. Right. By it was all over. <laughs> so like that number five is very flexible. Okay. Um, and the last part is that it does not have to be definitive because we know that things change. And so- I- it, it, <laughs> so this is this is a top five that belongs to this moment that we are having together. <laughs> no, but I was I was able to find I think like a top five that would apply forever, awesome. and it's like awesome. food that no matter what will make me happy. <laughs> okay, food that will always make you happy. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> it's super easy. Um, okay, it's like chocolate, Coca Cola, chips, fries, and cheesecake. <laughs> All right. So chocolate, Coca-Cola, chips, fries, and cheesecake. Yes. No matter what. That, we'll this, okay. So I, I I am an aspiring journalist, so I have to ask follow-up questions um, to this. <laughs> so um, dark chocolate, yes or no? Yes. Preferably okay. dark chocolate. No raisins. Uh, whatever, but no raisins or peanut butter. Who puts the... raisins in their chocolate? I know. It's <laughs> weird. Oh, but you know, there are those little, what are those little things? Yeah um peanut okay. butter so you're not team you're not team Reese's nope nope nothing with wow peanut. I had a horrible experience when I was an exchange student I didn't with eat for like two days <laughs> and I didn't speak any well I spoke really like little English so I was at Chicago airport after two days traveling from Bolivia and I went to a McDonald's Whoa. And I asked for potatoes because I didn't even know how to say french fries so I was like I want potatoes <laughs> And ice cream and ice cream. So no, she yelled at me because she wasn't having my potatoes. And she gave me a, um, a Butterfinger. Um, what's the oh, ice the, McDonald's? It, the... It's like the it's it's like a, a milkshake or like one of those things right and like it's like whatever old, it was yeah yeah so it was when they were trying to do the dairy queen blizzards when they were right trying to right do exactly like yeah because it was so like i had it because i was super hungry and it made me so sick so no peanut butter is something <laughs> i yeah, can't traumatized by the peanut no, butter. Right. I get that. all right so i got a question about about coca-cola um is it different in bolivia than it is here yes yeah. Is it better in Bolivia than it's it is better? And I I think yeah. and I share this with like recently I made very like a lot of Venezuelan friends and we share this because it's very cultural. Like Coca-Cola is tied to like happy memories and, you know, birthdays yeah. and weekends. So in my house, we try to stay away from it because I, you know, try to be healthy. But right, Coca-Cola right. <laughs> is like biggest gift you can bring oh, to my man, kids I- too. Yeah, it's like so like with tacos, with pizza, with yep. like, yeah, it's yep. yeah. So and there's like you the first time. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I just have to thank you for seeing me on this one, because like the first time I told somebody that I thought Mexican Coke was a little bit different from, you know, Coca-Cola in the United States. They're like, oh, come on. Like, it's all this like stop. And now Mexican Coke is like a thing and everybody's excited yes. about it. And so y'all can cop, stop coming at me now. Because <laughs> true. All right. Um, chips. If if someone was was going to bring you a, a big party size bag of chips, um, what would be the perfect chip that I would is it like all chips or are there like no, go-tos? Like salt and vinegar are my favorite. Okay. Why am I not surprised? I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, the salt and vinegar ones. Because it's like, mm, these are so yeah. good. <laughs> 
Uh, French fries doesn't need any like discussion. I, th I think that that's pretty straightforward. Um, you're not one of those partners that says you don't want fries, but then will then eat your partner's fries. Are you one of those partners? That does no, that? I'm honest from the beginning. I'm like, I'm yeah. having fries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want some fries. <laughs> there no. you go exactly yeah exactly um it, it's the other way and then um and then cheesecake uh what's plain what's the cheesecake, cheesecake. Plain. It's plain yeah nothing on it nothing on it yeah i don't really? have a very big sweet tooth so plain cheesecake hmm. yep. i mean the chocolate the coke and the cheesecake would suggest differently but <laughs> so but I, I, can't I, like, do, I, like... I can't do like chocolate cake or chocolate ice cream that's too much yeah so yeah 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 i'm not a big chocolate person but like cheesecake with like the cherry topping oh, so, so um <laughs> this is an excellent top five thank you um this i'm gonna use this in our um in promoting the episode and just be like, yo, here's some clues on our next guest. And then people <laughs> are like, what, what is this even? Um, how do people follow your work? How do people support Yachai Bolivia? Um, how do people just engage with the, with the amazing things that you're doing um, for neurodivergent kids and communities? Um, so I like social media, but I'm not the best at posting either. But I have some content there. I have my Facebook page. As, um, it's me, Ceci Quintanilla. Also my Instagram. And then we're also on Facebook with the nonprofit Yachay Bolivia um, para el neurodivergente. And it's facebook.com-ybneuro. Um, that's it. And then also our website, it's ybneuro.org. Um, so you can see what we're doing there. Um, and you can send me a message. I mean, I have a bunch of people that can contact me like that, that they want to join our discussion groups or, you know, want to talk to me a little more about it so I can point them to other people that might help them. So, yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for this amazing conversation today. You can um, look. It was fun. <laughs> uh, super fun. And, and, and I think this is going to be just a really fun episode to promote. And um, we'll have to have you back on. Um, just as things pick up and as as you um as you this work. so uh thank you again for being here yes thank you Fernando. have a good night hey what's good everybody hey are you an educator struggling with time and money i mean are we all well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code TUDOPE on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description.
Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member, F-I-N-R-A slash S-I-P-C. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.